Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Robert Costa in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the fall campaign season eats up. Politics enters a disaster zone. President Biden spent part of his Labor Day weekend touring damage left behind by Hurricane Adalia in Florida. Notably absent, potential rival and the current Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Well, no, I'm not disappointed. He may have had other reasons. With four months to go until the first primary contest, we'll take a closer look at the state of the presidential race. GOP candidate Nikki Haley joins us. We'll ask her how she's keeping up as the former president continues to dominate the polls. And we'll speak with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who recently delivered a speech in an early primary state, calling on the Democratic Party to do more for working class voters. What about a potential independent ticket? We'll talk with former Maryland Governor Republican Larry Hogan, who is a leader of a bipartisan group that could launch a presidential bid. Will Hogan be on it? I have not closed the door to that. We'll have analysis from political strategists, Democrat Ashley Etienne and Republican Terry Sullivan. Then, as President Biden gets ready to travel to Asia for a meeting with world leaders this week, we'll hear from Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who just got back from her trip to Beijing. What did she accomplish amid growing tensions between the U.S. and China? It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Margaret is off today. Labor Day weekend typically begins the unofficial end of summer and traditionally is when presidential campaigns ramp up. So we begin this morning with Republican presidential candidate, former U.N. ambassador and former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley. Good morning, Ambassador Haley. Good morning, Bob. Great to be with you. Ambassador, let's begin with Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, who appeared to freeze up before cameras in recent days for the second time in two months. His doctor then issued a statement saying McConnell, who was hospitalized earlier this year after a fall, is able to continue to work, quote, occasional lightheadedness is not uncommon in concussion recovery. 
the doctor wrote. Ambassador, you said this in recent days. The Senate is, quote, the most privileged nursing home in the country. And McConnell needs to, quote, know when to leave. Do you believe it's time for McConnell to step down from his leadership position? Bob, I am completely for term limits. I'm completely for mental competency tests for anyone over the age of 75. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. Here you have Mitch McConnell, who's done great service to the country. You have Dianne Feinstein, who had a great career. You've got Nancy Pelosi, who's been there a long time. At what point do they get it's time to leave? They need to let a younger generation take over. We want to go and start working for our kids to make sure we have a strong national security, to make sure we have a stronger economic policy, to make sure that America is safe. And we can't do that if these individuals refuse to give up power. This is not just a Republican or Democrat problem. This is a congressional problem. And they've got to know when to leave. It is time to pass this down to a new generation of conservatives conservative leaders that want to take our country to a better place. So just to be clear, when Republican senators come back to Washington, should they have a leadership shakeup on the table and should they talk about potentially having somebody else come in as the leader in the Senate? I want this for Republicans and Democrats. I want to make sure that they all know it's time to go. There is a reason the American people want term limits. It's because they don't want people staying there forever. They don't want people drunk on the power. They don't want people to think they're the only ones that know how to run Congress. Because right now, what has Congress done for you lately? We have an open border that's out of control. They're spending like drunken sailors. We've got continued issues, whether it comes with education, whether it comes with the debt, whether it comes with how we're going to have national security. We need people at the top of their game. We have too many issues on the table that need to be dealt with. We can't continue to have these people who think they know better than the American people. The American people are saying it is time to go. If they would approve term limits, the American people would show that. But until then, they've got to know that, look, we appreciate your service, but it's time to step away. So you've talked about competency tests, but let's dig a little deeper on that. There are age requirements for serving in the House, 25 years old, 30 for the Senate, 35 for the presidency. Should there be an age limit on the presidency, in your view, and maybe a constitutional change or legislative change? I think there should be mental competency tests, and I don't care if they're for everybody 50 and older. I don't care if they're for the entire Congress. These are basic tests, Bob. These are, tell us where you were born. Name four words that start with the same letter. How many grandchildren do you have? These are basic questions that anyone should be able to answer. And the way you do that is just when a candidate files to run for office, incumbent or newcomer, they have to give their financial disclosures. They should also give a notice from the doctor that tells about their mental capacity. I think that we need that. We can't stand watching Dianne Feinstein sit there and be told by an aide how she should vote. We can't worry about Mitch McConnell being frozen at a podium. We can't have Joe Biden forget where he is. Our enemies are watching all of this. And every time they have an instance like that, America is less safe because our enemies think we're out of control. And that's got to stop. You talked about spending. In just a few weeks, there's an important spending deadline in Washington. A potential government shutdown looms if they don't come up with a spending agreement to keep the government funded. Do you believe Republicans should take a hard line? And what exactly should they do with this looming? 
Well, I think Congress needs to do their job. You know, Biden has pushed us into into socialism light. He's spending on every single thing and they've forgotten the role of government. Government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. So as we go into this, I have said that Biden has spent already $5 trillion in his term, but Republicans have spent too. We've watched them open up earmarks for the first time in 10 years. We've watched the 2024 appropriations bill has 7.4 billion in earmarks Democrats have $2.8 billion in earmarks. So all of them are spending like drunken sailors, and it's our tax dollars that they're spending. What we're saying is, I had to balance a budget when I was governor of South Carolina. Americans have to balance their budget at home. Why is Congress the only group that refuses to balance a budget? They need to go in there and do the hard work. They need to make sure that they are giving money back to the taxpayers. They the need question, to make sure that money is not being wasted. The question and so is, I think they need to do their job. The question, though, Ambassador, is what exactly should they do in terms of the negotiating position they take? For example, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia has just said in recent days that Republicans should not vote to fund the government unless an impeachment inquiry begins against President Biden inside of the House of Representatives. Is she right or is she wrong to take that position? She's one of many that are going to throw things on the table like that. What I'm saying is Congress needs to do their job. Balance a budget. I have said I will veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. The only group that talks about closing down the government or playing these games are members of Congress. The American people aren't talking about that. The American people are telling Congress, do your job, balance a budget, stop the spending, stop the borrowing, eliminate the earmarks, claw back the hundreds of billions of dollars of unspent COVID dollars. Right. Go after, instead of 87,000 IRS agents going after middle America, go after the hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID fraud that we know exist. These political games, the American people have no, no use for it. They just want them to do their job. It's not that hard. Over the it's why I continue to say we've got way too many lawyers in Congress. We need an accountant. I'm an accountant. That's why I want to put an end to this and start having government work for the people again. Over the past week, former President Donald Trump, the front runner in the race, he pleaded not guilty to criminal accusations in Georgia. When you were on that debate stage in Milwaukee, which has earned you some good reviews inside of the party, inside of the Republican Party, you raised your hand, said you would still support him if he was convicted of a crime and the nominee next year. Do you stand by your decision to hold up your hand on stage and back Trump should he be the nominee and be a convicted felon? Well, what you saw were candidates on that stage said that they would do exactly what they signed and pledged to do, which is support the Republican nominee. That's what we are saying. I don't think President Trump's going to be the nominee. I think it's going to be me. But I will tell you that any Republican is better than what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing. We Even know if they're that convicted a vote for of a Joe crime? Biden is a vote for a President Kamala Harris. It. First of all, he's innocent until proven guilty. But you are implying that the American people are not smart. The American people are not going to vote for a convicted criminal. The American people are going to vote for someone who can win a general election. I have faith in the American people. They know what they need to do. And so I think that, yes, I will support the Republican nominee always. And I will make sure that that person, we're going to pick someone that's going to beat a President Kamala Harris because we can't have a President Kamala Harris or we'll never get our country back. How are you going to consolidate quickly the non-Trump vote in this primary? We're now in September, just months away from the early voting. 
It's not about consolidating a non-Trump vote. It's about consolidating where Republicans want to go. I believe Republicans want to stop the crazy spending. I believe Republicans want to bring crime down and go back to law and order. I believe Republicans want transparency in schools. I believe Republicans want to secure the border. And I believe Republicans want to prevent war and have a strong national security. That's what we're talking about. It's not about a person. It's about a country. And it's not just about Republicans. It's about independents. Gotcha. It's about conservative Democrats that know that we're going in the wrong direction. Ambassador Haley, we'll see you soon on the campaign trail. We really appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday morning. Thank you. And we now go to Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who is joining us from Burlington. Good morning, Senator Sanders. We appreciate you being here. Morning, Bob. Senator, President Biden is touting the latest jobs numbers, but your recent speech in New Hampshire painted a bleak picture of the nation's economic reality. When you met with President Biden at the White House in recent days, what exactly did you tell him, Senator? And did you warn him, like you warned in New Hampshire, that, quote, Democrats must reject the corporate wing of the party? Well, Bob, what I have said publicly uh, time and again is that President Biden and his administration have made some real progress in addressing issues that have not been de dealt with in decades. We finally took on the pharmaceutical industry, and we're beginning to make some progress in lowering the cost of prescription drugs. A lot more has to be done. After years of talk, we finally invested in rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, roads, bridges, water system. Manufacturing is coming back in America. So I think we're making some progress. But everybody knows that for decades now, not just under Biden, not just under Trump, but for decades now, what we have seen in America is an economy in which the very, very wealthy are doing phenomenally well while working families are struggling. Today, Bob, we don't talk about it much. We have more income and wealth inequality than we have ever had in the history of the United States. This is way before Biden. But what we are seeing now is 60% of our people living paycheck to paycheck. We have a healthcare system, which is totally broken. We pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. We got 18 million households where people are spending 50% of their income trying to pay the rent or pay a mortgage. So we have some structural problems in America. The Biden administration has made some progress. We have got a long way to go. And what the Democratic Party has got to do is have the guts to take on corporate greed, which is unprecedented, all over the economy. The people right. who own the large corporations are drawing record-breaking profits. we got to create an economy that works for all, not just a few. Senator, you met with the president. You discussed these issues. You just heard from Ambassador Haley. She was attacking Vice President Harris. Are Democrats doing enough to support Vice President Harris as she faces these kind of attacks? Well, I think the issue is, are Democrats doing enough to win back a working class which is leaving the Democratic Party? And what, in my view, Democrats have got to do is say, really, do you really want to vote for a Republican Party which wants to cut Social Security? we got to expand Social Security. Wants to cut Medicare? We have got to expand Medicare to include dental, hearing, and vision. we got a Republican Party out there that doesn't even recognize the reality of climate change. So I think, Bob, what this campaign is going to should be about is a contrast between the ideas that work for the working families of this country and what the Republicans stand for, which is more tax breaks for billionaires and 
paying allegiance to the needs of corporate America, not ordinary Americans. But is the administration doing enough? I listened closely to your speech in New Hampshire. The administration's recently taken action on marijuana, for example, but should it do more with executive power? It's taken action on prescription drug negotiations with Medicare, but should it do more? I mean, you, you're you out there and saying the it should be tougher. Yes. Bob, the answer is yes, it should. Some of it can be done through executive orders. A lot can be done through legislation. And what I think has got to happen, this is my own view, is I think what the president has got to say is give me at least 50 Democrats in the Senate, give me control over the House of Representatives. And by 50 Democrats, I mean real Democrats, not corporate Democrats like Manchin and Cinema. And if you do that, within two or three months, we're going to reform health care to move it toward a system which guarantees health care to all people, not just huge profits for the insurance companies. We're going to lower the cost of the prescription drugs so that we're not paying any more than the rest of the world. We're going to rebuild our economy to work for ordinary people. And I think that's got to be the message. Contrast a progressive agenda for working people versus a Republican agenda. Senator, I know you don't like to talk politics, but you're the one who went to New Hampshire, an early primary state you've done very well in over the years. You support President Biden 100%. You've made that clear. But for any reason, if President Biden decides not to seek the Democratic nomination, is a run by Senator Sanders for the nomination on the table next year? Bob, I think we spend too much time speculating. I think President Biden is going to be uh, the nominee of the Democratic Party. And I think if he runs on a strong progressive agenda, He's not only going to win, he's going to win by a strong vote. And I'll tell you why. Because when you look at a Republican Party, it's not only that you have a president, a, a former president who has been impeached twice, indicted four times. These are people who deny women in this country the right to control their own bodies. Really? Is that where we are in 2023? Not recognizing the reality of climate change, wanting more tax breaks for billionaires. That's what their agenda is. So I think that in any kind of serious campaign. Uh, President Biden and the Democrats will do quite well against that reactionary agenda. What do you what do you say, Senator, though, to some of your longtime supporters who are frustrated because they don't believe the Biden administration's done enough? They may not share your view of how things have gone. And they're thinking about Cornell West or they're thinking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. What's your message to them as they drift toward those others? Well, my message to them is that we are living in an unprecedented moment in American history. Uh, Donald Trump is not only uh, a pathological liar, has not only helped wage an insurrection, if you like, to uh, prevent President Biden from taking office, not only is denying American democracy, uh, moving against American democracy. So I think at this moment, Bob, uh, we have got to bring the progressive community together to say, you know what, we're going to fight for a progressive agenda, but we cannot have four more years of Donald Trump in the White House. Do you worry about the progressive vote staying home? I think if the Democrats come up with a strong agenda that speaks to the needs of senior citizens in this country, and that means uh, raising Social Security benefits, expanding Medicare, uh, if we speak to the needs of young people, and that is having a lot to do with student debt, if we demand that the wealthiest people in this country start paying their fair share of taxes, if we come up with a progressive agenda 
uh, I think we're going to win and win big. And when we, we win big, we have to make it clear that we stand with the working class of this country against the kind of corporate greed uh, that we now see. Senator, quickly, you are also the chairman of the Senate Health and Labor Committee. Progressives, voters are looking to you as well for action. You're investigating Amazon warehouses right now. Are you committed to issuing a subpoena for Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, to come testify or not? Well, we're going to take one step at a time. Right now, what we're working on, Bob, is major reforms in primary health care. We don't have enough doctors, nurses, dentists, uh, mental health providers Senator- in this country. We're working hard on legislation to do that. So we brought Mr. Schultz from Starbucks before the committee. We are looking at Amazon and we'll take it one step at a time. But certainly no fears. You know, at the appropriate time, we may well do that. Thank you very much, Senator Sanders. We appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday morning. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Former Maryland Governor Republican Larry Hogan joined us on Friday with more about what he thinks about the GOP presidential field. Look, I think uh, there's too many people in the field. You should not be in the race. If If you don't make the debate stage, you likely should consider getting out. If you're on the debate stage and you're willing to stand up and challenge uh, the leader, that's at 50 percent. If you're unwilling to challenge Donald Trump, you should get off the stage. You know, uh, Ramaswamy, for example, is up there being a cheerleader and a fill in for Trump. Um, he shouldn't be running for president. He should you know, he, he obviously is trying to apply for a job for Trump. But if you're in there running for vice president or you're trying to be a cabinet secretary or you're trying to become famous or write a book or get on television, you should get the heck out of the race. Uh, we need to narrow it down to find a leader who can get the Republican Party back on the right track and that can get us back to winning elections again. It's not going to happen with 11 people in the race. Who specifically? Former Congressman Will Hurd didn't make the debate stage. Should he get out? You know, I, I, Will is a great friend. I have tremendous admiration for him. I agree with him on so many issues, but it's, he's not going to be president. And uh, he didn't make the debate stage. And I think he contributes a lot to the discussion. Um, he and I see a lot of things eye to eye. But, yeah, I don't think that at this point he, he should be in the race. But I don't want to go through the list of which one which one should we get out and get in the but process. Times of the essence, I think it's, it's a decision they have to make. What I'm I'm having conversations. Most of these folks are friends of mine. Uh, I'm talking with other leaders in the party who share this concern, this issue that you're getting to. And I think we're going to have to continue to have those discussions and try to give people the best. I'm giving private advice to many of the people running. Uh, I think other leaders are going to come together and we're going to have to figure out how can we convince people uh, to to put aside uh, their own egos, 
uh, and their own goals uh, to just make sure we do the right thing for the country and the party. How do you force that conversation? It's a difficult one. I've covered politics for years. Most politicians wake up, they look in the mirror, they see a future president. It's tough to have that kind of conversation. It's very, very tough, which is why it hasn't happened yet. But I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope that uh, we'll we'll get this figured out. And I'm, you know, my total focus at this point is trying to make sure we can get a, a challenger that's going to win this nomination that's not Donald Trump that can get us back to winning elections again and to win the race in November. You said you were going to talk to your friends in the traditional Republican wing of the GOP, a party still dominated by Trump. How would you describe the level of concern? Is it quiet concern, a twiddling of the thumbs right now among donors and traditional Republicans, or is there real alarm that it's September and Trump's dominating? I think there's real alarm, and it's becoming more and more real. I mean, people were somewhat hopeful that we would be in a different place by now. Uh, and now they're starting to come to the realization that, hey, this is we might actually have Donald Trump as the nominee and Joe Biden as the nominee. And this is something that 70 percent of the people in America do not want. They do not want Donald Trump or Joe Biden. They don't want a rematch. And they don't think these are the two best choices to be running the race. What about a late entry from Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia or Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. It, it may not be possible to get on the ballot in Iowa and South Carolina in those early states, but could you see a late entry trying to make a play for the convention? Well, it seems like the opposite of what I've been saying. You know, we've got 11 people in the race. We have six of my former gubernatorial colleagues already in the race. I'm not sure whether one or two more is going to fix the problem. Uh, I also just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, they're both great governors. I campaigned and helped both of them. Um, but October 15th is the deadline and uh, they all this talk about somebody's going to get in the end of the year or next year. That's not going to happen. It's uh, it's uh, six weeks away. Welcome back to Face the Nation. Here is more of our conversation with former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who is an honorary co-chair of the bipartisan group No Labels, which could put together a third party presidential bid. No labels is not an effort to try to help Donald Trump and to be a spoiler for Joe Biden. I don't think there's a soul in this organization that's that's trying to promote Donald Trump. And you know, it's, it's, we don't get into the process and how and why. Basically, you got to figure out why are we in this situation? We're in this situation because we have two potential terrible nominees of the two major parties that 70 percent of the people in America don't want. That's what no labels is about. It's a citizen saying, Maybe we have to try something else. To your the point you just made, does that mean a Republican like yourself in your mold, perhaps, or even you, has to be at the top of the no labels ticket? Should there be a no labels ticket? I think we should only put together a ticket in the event that it's Trump and Biden. You know, I'm still again, still trying to work to make sure we can get a good Republican nominee. And this doesn't it's no longer necessary. But it has to be a good ticket that can actually win. Uh, you know, I would only be in it to win it. Nobody's trying to spoil anything. This is about actually receiving a majority of the votes. And I would say the last time we had somewhat of a successful third party run, it was Ross Perot who dropped out of the race and had all kinds of problems and came back in and still was at about 20 percent. But he was a, a Republican who ran as an independent and took, you know, most people would argue. I think he drew from both sides, but it didn't uh, you know, hurt the Democrat, hurt, hurt the Republican. And the Ross Perot experience in 1992, he gets about 19 percent of the popular vote. But it's very difficult yes. to win the White House in a system that's the Electoral College. It's, it's very true. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's never really happened. I mean, uh, but we're at a point where we've never been in America, so we just don't know. And, and you know that things change. We have eight months to figure this out. We don't know who, where we're going to be as a country. We don't know who the potential candidates might be. But it very well may be the first time in our history where the American public is 
really hungry for something like this. If people are frustrated with the Democrats and the Republicans, maybe they are looking for an alternative. But No Labels, the group you're the honorary co-chairman of, has not released its list of donors. They're under the, the cloud of the election law where they can not be disclosed to the public. Do you believe No Labels now or at some point in the future is going to have to offer Americans clarity about who's spending money on no labels in order to win the public's trust if they want to move forward. Sure. Well, it, you know, it's a tax exempt, uh, you know, citizen, grassroots citizen organization, just like thousands of others. And that's just what the rules are. They're not a political party. They, they don't have a candidacy they're behind. They're not backing anyone. If, in fact, it became a, a campaign, they obviously would have to follow all the same rules that all the rest of the campaigns do. But right now, there's just an awful lot of attacks and criticism uh, because they're really worried that this, this kind of citizen uprising is gaining a lot of traction, and they're really concerned about the, the two weak nominees that they might be faced with. Well, to your point, there's concern, especially among allies of the White House, that a Democratic independent ticket would pull from Biden. But let's, let's be real. If Trump is going to end up, looks like the nominee, come January or February of next year, are you, Larry Hogan, open to being atop a no-labels ticket as a Republican-type candidate with no labels? It's not something I'm pursuing. I know it's not. We know you're not pursuing it. it, but it, it is it? Is it? At I'm least hoping we open don't door? get to that point. I have not closed the door to that. If I believe that we can actually win the race, we have a strong ticket that those two major candidates are weak. We might have to try to pull off something that's never been done, which is sort of what I did in Maryland. Do you believe there's actually going to be a no labels ticket or not next year? I think there's a good likelihood that there there could be. Um, I, I don't know the odds, and uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Again, I'm still hopeful that uh, I don't. I'm not sure sitting here today that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the two nominees of the major parties, or whether this ever lifts off the ground. But if in fact that's the case, I do believe that this group has a chance to get access to the ballot in all 50 states, and if they put together, you know, a a really great ticket and ran a perfect campaign, that they would actually have a shot to be not just a spoiler, but to be in it to win it. Former Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, we appreciate you coming by Face the Nation, and we'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're joined now by CBS News contributor and Democratic strategist Ashley Etienne and Republican strategist Terry Sullivan, good morning to both of you. Thanks for being here. Ashley, let's begin with you. We heard from Senator Sanders. He met with President Biden, said the White House, other Democrats need to do more to pay attention to working people across this country. 
Is there concern inside the Biden administration, you worked inside of it, about their connection with working voters across the country? No, I watched the senator's interview. I mean, he he opened up by giving the president a lot of credit for what he's done, negotiating to lower drug costs, record uh uh, economic growth, 13 million jobs created, manufacturing's roaring back. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with the senator. You know, we've made a lot of progress under this current president that supported working Americans, but there's still more to be done. There's no question about that. But what I do appreciate is he's acknowledged the president's great work and, and how he's done it really together with Republicans as well to, to move a lot of these big bills and big uh, landmark legislation forward. Terry, you managed Senator Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign. You know what it means to run against former President Trump. You did it. It wasn't easy for Senator Rubio and your campaign. Every Republican struggled. When you watched Ambassador Haley this morning and you watched Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in recent weeks, what do you see in the Republican race right now? Is there actually an opportunity for Haley to get some traction or are they stuck in the single digits? Yeah, you're right. I, I have experience losing to Donald Trump, so I, I know what it's like. The and. You know what? At the moment, this is what we're watching all of these candidates do. Um, unfortunately, they've got to engage Trump. Hope is not a strategy. And last time, uh, there was a lot, in 2016, there was a lot of hope that you can be the last one. You know, there's no way Trump can get over 50. And there's all these different things. And so I think with, with, with Haley and a lot of them, they've got to be able to go after the guy in first place. He's the de facto nominee. He's the de facto incumbent. If you don't engage him and take him on, he's going to skate to victory. What about impeachment? Uh, we talked a little bit about it with uh, Ambassador Haley because Representative Taylor Greene of Georgia is talking about moving forward quickly with a, an impeachment of President Biden. Inside of the White House, you've worked with President Biden. You've worked with Vice President Harris. Are they preparing for a fall impeachment season? Well, more importantly, I ran the impeachment war room for Speaker Pelosi, the first impeachment war room. And I will tell you the greatest difference is there's no evidence here. There was actually evidence when we moved to impeach Donald Trump. If you recall, he actually gave us the evidence, the recording of his phone call with Zelensky asking for dirt on Joe Biden. So that's that's real. I mean, we have to take a step back and really approach impeachment with a level of sobriety. But how and do they seriousness. see it this time around the Democrats as they, uh, as they come for Biden? I mean, my recommendation to the to the uh, to the president would be to treat it as a sideshow that it actually is at this point. There is no evidence. They've had five years to drudge up some evidence on uh, Hunter Biden. And all they found is a is a gun charge and tax evasion with no relationship to President Biden. So so the, the point is, is I mean, I wouldn't get overly exercised or excited about an impeachment inquiry that's ba that's baseless and has has no no evidence and no foundation, but but here's here can I just say one more thing, the the problem that we have is is this politics of retribution, right? The American people don't want it. You know, this would be the, the greatest, if they move forward with an impeachment inquiry, be the greatest devastation, not just to their majority, but even to their speakership in 2024. Well, how did the House Republicans see it? You've worked for congressional Republicans for a long time, Terry. Is Speaker McCarthy and others, are they going to go along with this push to impeach Biden? And politically, how do they really see it? Yeah, look, I think he's the speaker is sober enough to realize this is not a great long term political play, but he's got to appease uh, the base within his caucus. And that's that's an issue here. Um, and we've seen it on both sides. Look, these these impeachments uh, don't help dating back to Clinton, do not help the the party that is that is doing the impeaching. Um, historically speaking, the, the beneficiary of it is, is the president who's getting impeached. And so I would caution the Republicans on this going after Trump. I mean, going after Biden seems like a really poor decision politically. 
And we talked at the beginning of the program about Senator Mitch McConnell. He's facing questions about his health. His doctor says he's fine to serve. Uh, inside the White House, how are they handling the age question when it comes to President Biden? Well, with a lot of humor. I mean, they've they've handled this issue quite a bit. Um, it's not a new issue to them. They're they're very clear about um, about the issue. But but you know, I've worked for two. Um, my two of my bosses, both Speaker Pelosi and uh, Biden, are, are 80 years old. And I've seen, you know, I watched firsthand how Speaker Pelosi handled Donald Trump masterfully, you know, and I've seen uh, Joe Biden up close. And again, you, you, you're talking about an unprecedented record of bipartisan legislation, big things for the American people that he's gotten done. So for me, age is nothing but a number. And it's very personal. What you're saying with McConnell is a serious issue. And I, I do believe his staff is really doing him a disservice. They need to figure out what's going on. Him. It's serious in a way that we've, it's not as serious with Biden nor with Pelosi and others. Terry, you've worked for some conservative senators over the year, like Senator, the former senator from South Carolina, Jim DeMint. You know that conservative Senate world. Are they going to see this as an opening? For now, those like Senator Rick Scott are being pretty hands off. But are they going to try to nudge McConnell out in the coming weeks? Yeah, look, no is the short answer. Um, the uh, We've had very old United States senators since since the first United States senators. Uh, this is nothing new. And it's not even really an, an age issue if, if the argument is, I mean, look at Fetterman. Uh, so you've got it on both sides of the aisle. You've got you've got older like Senator Feinstein. You've got this. Look, they're going to they're, they're not inclined to to push out one of their own on either side, clearly. When you look at the elections, we're always talking about 2024, but I'm paying attention to 2023, these off-year elections as well. You're going to have legislative elections uh, in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, the governor, the Republicans out there talking about them a lot, Uh, elections in Kentucky, Mississippi, elsewhere this fall. What are you paying attention to? Because they're often a good read on what's going to happen the next year. Well, I'm paying attention to the, the issues that voters are that are driving voter turnout. That's what's going to be important to me. Is it going to be abortion? Is it democracy, the fragility of American democracy? Is it the economy? What's going to turn out voters, but specifically these independent voters that are going to make the difference? What do you think is going to really get them out this fall? Well, I, I think it's going to be abortion. I think it's going to be democracy. It's those two issues. And Same that's issues from 2022. Absolutely. And that's what the president and his campaign are banking on. They're going to make those issues central to his argument. One, we know for a fact, well, according to polls, 70 percent of independents don't want they don't want to a candidate who's anti-abortion. And when it comes to democracy, half the country believes that Donald Trump is guilty of having cheated the election. So those are going to be two issues that they're going to keep very central to the argument because it drives Democratic base, but it also drives independent, moderate Republican voters, and they're going to make the difference in, in all of these elections. Ashley's point about democracy brings up the question of former President Trump facing four criminal investigations, indictments. How is that going to affect not just the Republican race, and we've talked about that a ton, but how could it affect the general election next year? Yeah, who the heck knows? I mean, let's be honest, nothing that, uh, that uh, about Donald Trump's campaigns have ever been, been conventional or easy to predict. Uh, so I do think that we're in unknown territory here. And just as, you know, oddly enough, half of America thought that being indicted was going to tank his, his campaign. Uh, the other half thought that it was going to, uh, to be a rallying cry. It turns out it's the latter at the moment. I mean, since he's been indicted for the first time in New York, his polling numbers have gone up on the real clear They're politics. Not sustain, though, you, that's, yeah. But they've you know, gone up. You get a up. bump, but you don't get, you, you have to sustain right. the numbers. You know, we're political people. It's all about we, the train and sustaining the numbers. We could keep this conversation going all morning. We might just do that. But for now, we'll be back in a moment.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. President Biden said last week there were positive signs in the August jobs report as wages outpaced inflation. And the number of jobs added to the economy exceeded expectations. On Friday, we spoke with Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who just returned from her visit to China and began by asking her why CBS News polling shows the administration's economic efforts are not resonating with some Americans. I think the reality is that inflation still exists and it it is, you know, something that people see on a daily basis when they go to the grocery store or pay their rent uh, or pay their mortgage. And we have to know that, you know, that's still uh, a challenge for folks. That being said, if you look at where we are today, compared to when the president took office. It's an unbelievable story of progress. The economy, we're among the strongest economies in the world. We all went through COVID, right? Europe did, China did, Asia did, yet we have emerged the fastest and the strongest. So I don't want to minimize what Americans are feeling, and that's why we get up and go to work every day. But this economy, by any measure, is doing incredibly well and much better than anyone could have predicted, I think, three years ago when we started. The White House is working with Congress to hammer out an agreement on a short-term funding measure to avoid an October 1st partial federal government shutdown. When you talk to business leaders right now, are they worried about this deadline and what a shutdown could mean for the U.S. economy? Yes, they are worried. They are very worried. They are, I think, in some cases, frustrated that this is how government operates. Uh, You know, what businesses need to be successful is is predictability. You know, predictability, some semblance of, you know, regular order. And so these sorts of disruptions that are mainly driven by politics, so it's a challenge for the economy and have the potential to set us back. So I do hope that there'll be a speedy resolution. Secretary, you are the first Commerce Secretary in five years to be on the ground in China in recent days. What progress, if any, do you think you made on the ground there? I think we made a great deal of progress Uh, in terms of concrete deliverables. I was able to open three specific Uh, lines of communication uh, with the Chinese, which is a huge step forward. We haven't really had any contact in in more than five years. So we agreed to share information about export controls. We agreed to open a dialogue on commercial issues, which is so important because China has not treated U.S. business uh, fairly. And so we've got to put those issues on the table. And we agreed to have uh, exchange around trade secrets, another area where businesses 
need to deserve to know that their trade secrets will be protected in China. You said on the trip that, quote, increasingly I hear from American business that China is uninvestable because it becomes too risky. So what exactly did you get in terms of those assurances from the Chinese that would really give confidence to American business leaders? They said that they would uh, talk to American businesses and begin to address these issues. Like, for example, one of the complaints I hear frequently from U.S. business, by the way, business who are used to doing business in in difficult parts of the world, they say that, you know, China's regulations are not at all transparent. You know, they'll raid a business in March and not explain what went on for many months. Uh, They will arrest folks but not provide due process or tell you what happened. And so when I expressed these concerns, uh, I was heard. I wasn't given any promises. But one thing that I think we can take a bit of heart in is it's in China's interest, it's in their economic interest to have foreign direct investment and to make sure, you know, they had a very good economy when they were market-oriented and reform-minded. Do you trust the Chinese at this point, after all of your conversations, after digesting what happened on your trip, do you trust them? Trust is probably not the word I would use. Uh, We need to see action. And until we see action, there can be no trust. And they hacked into your, your own email account, so that might have hurt the ability to have a trustworthy relationship. Exactly. And I, pl- I said that. You know, hacking my account erodes trust, uh, undermining American workers by over-subsidizing certain industries erodes trust, treating American businesses unfairly on the ground erodes trust. When you were over there, did you get insights, if any, about whether the Chinese economy is slowing down and how concerning would that be for the United States? I think there's no question that it is slowing down and certainly they're having real, real significant challenges in the real estate sector, which they readily acknowledged when I was there. But again, um, to my mind, the facts are quite clear in this regard. When China was more market-oriented, open, Uh, you know, a little bit more transparent, their economy did very well. And more recently, as they have closed down and become more uh, arbitrary in the way they administer regulations, the economy is quite challenged. So time will tell. And I'm often out on the campaign trail, Secretary, and I know you stay out of politics, but one thing I'm hearing from so many Republicans across the country, especially governors, they want to block Chinese companies from making investments and buying farmland in the United States. Does the Biden administration and do you support Chinese companies making investments and buying farmland in the United States? We have to be very, very careful. We have to screen every investment uh, and make a decision as to whether it hurts our national security or not. Not every uh, investment from China into America is harms our national security, but many do. And so it's a case-by-case basis looking into the facts and being uh, as tough as we need to be, but also being, uh, you know, realistic and not hyperbolic, Uh, just being, like I say, practical. It's time to be practical, pragmatic, and serious about managing every aspect of this relationship. Secretary Raimondo, we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. 
Thank you. Have a great Labor Day weekend. You can watch the full interview on our website, facethenation.com. We'll be right back. As millions of students stream back to school, there is concern over the mounting learning loss many children experienced during the COVID pandemic. Mark Strassman reports. Across America, the three-year pandemic erased decades of incremental gains in public schools and widened gaps between top and bottom performers. I hope that results like these are, are that wake-up call, right? My kids, our kids weren't in school. Harvard professor Andrew Ho is talking about widespread learning losses. In one study, today's third through eighth graders need roughly four months more instruction in math and reading to catch up to pre-pandemic students. The declines that we saw because of the pandemic won't just automatically undo themselves. Another post-pandemic issue, a doubling of chronic absenteeism in some states. After years of remote learning, millions of parents and kids see little point in going to school. Of particular concern. How to make sure that extra inequality that the pandemic caused doesn't become permanent. For many schools, it's shaping up as a daunting exercise in catching up. Pressure on teachers, pressure on schools, because there's no way kids can learn if there's no one to teach them. We are starting the school year with classrooms that do not have assigned teachers. It is a very real crisis. You can host a job and there, no one will apply. In 2021, the Biden administration gave school districts another $122 billion. 20% of that was earmarked for helping students recover academically. Among the spending, in-person and online tutoring. But experts say real gains will only come by working harder, faster, longer. The challenge right now is how to make that more appealing um, and to give the public a sense uh, of urgency that we don't seem to currently have. That was Mark Strassman reporting. And that's it for us today. Thanks for watching. For Face the Nation, I'm Robert Costa. Today's guests were 2024 GOP candidate Nikki Haley, Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders, former Maryland Governor, Republican Larry Hogan, political strategist Ashley Etienne and Terry Sullivan, and U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. The broadcast was directed by Shelley Swartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network at 1.30 p.m., 4 p.m., and 10 p.m. on Sundays. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 
63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free, starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.